You are listening to Open Science Talk, the podcast about open science. My name is Per Pipinaspos, and in this episode, I will talk about Publicera, a platform that has been launched by the National Library of Sweden recently, uh, a platform for open access journals. And I'm joined by four editors that represent the three journals that are on the Publicera platform so far. So who are you? Start out with Isak here in front of me. Yes, my name is uh, Isak Hilten Cavalius. I'm uh, an associate professor of uh, literary studies at Linnaeus University and uh, an affiliated researcher in Lund at Lund University, uh, where I'm also chief editor of uh, Tidskrift för litteraturvetenskap. It's a, a Swedish journal for literary studies. Thank you. And uh, Sophie? My name is Sophie Bergebrandt and I'm a researcher at Gothenburg University and I'm one of two editors of current Swedish archaeology. Alison? Hi, uh, my name is Alison Klevnes. I'm reader in archaeology at Stockholm University and I'm the other editor of current Swedish archaeology. Thanks. And Jenny? Yes, hi, I'm Jenny Gunnarsson-Payne. I'm professor of ethnology at Södertörn University in Stockholm, and I'm editor-in-chief of the journal Kulturella Perspektiv, Svensk Ethnologisk Tidskrift, an ethnological journal. Thank you very much. And... Um... You are here to talk about your journals and how they have migrated to this platform Publicera, where you now have just started publishing your articles and also the back issues of your journal. Um, let's start with Tidskrift för litteraturvetenskap. As far as I can tell, the volume for 2021 is volume 51 of this journal, so it's, it has a long history. I guess there are also people with, uh, uh, with feelings for this journal. Um, so how was the process of migrating to an open access platform? Uh, well, we haven't seen, uh, since we haven't published our first uh, uh, digital number yet, so we haven't seen the, the broad response, but uh, the people I've been in touch with, in touch with has been uh, surprisingly uh, positive, I must say. Um, I think there is uh, like a general attitude that I, I used to share myself that digitalization and might not be ideal, but that it's become uh, necessary uh, for most journals uh, to publish uh, full open access. Uh, uh, but I, I'd say today I see uh, uh, a lot of advantages with uh, digital public publication and, and open access. Um, even if I still have issues with uh, um, bibliometrics uh, as a tool for, for uh, um, evaluation of quality and so forth. But, uh, but I think there's, uh, there's great potential in the format. Yeah, speaking uh, of format, so, so of course, 50 years old journal, it has started on 
paper. Uh, did you have like a transition period where we were both digital and paper, or do you go from strictly a paper journal onto a uh, strictly open access uh, online journal? I think for uh, for the last at least ten years, we've had um, what do you call it? We've uh, published uh, digital versions. Um, approximately six months after the paper issue. But anyhow, um, let's hear about Kulturella Perspektiv, uh, this Swedish ethnological uh, journal, uh, Jenny. Uh, how was your transition onto this platform? It was a quick transition and a steep learning curve. And I just took over as editor-in-chief from 2020. And before that, since the 90s, uh, the previous editor had been like, uh, the editor for the whole time and he was actually very good precisely at like the printing trade he had a special interest in it and was really good at it so I think the journal as took great pride in being a printed journal but uh, the economy would not allow for us to continue printing and also we needed to adjust uh, the whole journal for you know to become searchable in all relevant databases etc so there were many things coinciding that led us to um, to become a digital journal and like Isaac I do see big advantages with it too not least with regards to distributing the good research that is done here so that it reaches also hopefully a bit outside of Sweden um, too. Yeah uh, the two journals that we have talked about so far, the Tidskrift for Literaturvetenskap and the Kulturella Perspektiv, they are both primarily Swedish language journals. But let's move then to current Swedish archaeology. Um, we can start with you, Sophie, I guess. Well, current Swedish archaeology is both printed and online um, because our readers want it printed still we have a group of people who really wants us to keep printing the journal. Uh, up till two years ago, I think, Alison, uh, we had a six month embargo, but now, you know, as soon as we get the printed volume in our hands, we put press on the digital one. So it's open access that immediately. So current is English language and always has been. And it's always, I think, been intended as a sort of international, international mouthpiece of, of Swedish archaeology. It's always been aimed at both a national and an international readership. We have quite a large international readership. So online has always made a lot of sense for us, at the same time as we have quite a lot of paper subscribers, not least libraries um, in Europe and also uh, further afield. So we were publishing online. We're owned with a journal of the Swedish Archaeological Society, and we have a section of their website. So we were publishing online on their website, but it was very old school. We were just uploading PDFs uh, onto a plain website. So I think it's, it was more or less a no-brainer that we needed a modern platform for the journal. Uh, and then the question was where, where we could find a suitable platform. And so we were looking quite hard at our own options and trying to figure out uh, what a good way of publishing properly online would be for us when the National Library announced that they were going to be working on this new platform. Yeah. So the new platform could then bring all of you, I guess, um, 
on stride to the, the, the international developments in online publishing. Uh, the national platform gives you GOIs, uh, permanent links to each article. Uh, I have also looked into it and, and you seem to get all, all of the, the content uh, is not just PDF, but also this XML format, which is recommended by Plan S, for instance. Uh, how does that take place? Do you do it manually yourself? Does Publicera offer some sort of support or do you do you uh, buy that help from outside of the the um, editorial board? Uh, could start with uh, Jenny. Yeah, um, well, it is a requirement, isn't it, to be on Publicera platform to have XML. And to be fair, I hadn't really thought about it when I started. So it was thanks to the advice and uh, sort of yeah, technical support advice from uh, the very great experts working with the platform. I had no clue. Uh, I could not do it myself. So we uh, send our files, Word files, away to typesetters that sort out both the PDFs and the XML files. So you do it uh, before you uh, submit to Publicera, is that so? Or is it uh, part of the workflow with Publicera? No, it, it's part of the workflow. So the, the authors submit their papers. We do the whole review process within the system, which is very convenient and really helps. And then when we editors, I work with an editorial group as well. When we think that it's um, okay, then we submit it to these typesetters and then they yeah, we do the proof proofing of the PDFs with them, and then they upload final files with the XML version as well. So I have nothing, you know, personally to do with putting them together, and I'm quite relieved um, about that myself because I don't have the technical know-how to do it. Yeah, so you can focus on the contents, uh, which is what a researcher is there for, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> uh, how about uh, you, Sophia? from current Swedish archaeologists uh, side. Um, we have worked with a layout person for a very long time. He does the PDFs for us. Uh, he will eventually, but he needs to, he has also a learning curve. He will do the XML for us, but right now we're, we're sending them away. So we're sending the PDFs away and we get the XML back and I upload them at the, at the platform, uh, which I spent an hour and a half uh, yesterday doing because we're just about to publish the next volume. I see. So there is some, some uh, technical work, of course, in running a journal. You can't escape that. Yeah. But, uh, how about you, Isaac? Um, we, Tiske, for Literaturvetenskap is a bit particular because we have a, an ambulating, uh, the journal ambulates between Swedish universities with two-year intervals. So. Even if I think we have the, we have one person, uh, one editor that is really good at, at uh, IT and uh, stuff like that, that could probably do the work. My ambition has been to uh, establish an infrastructure that's uh, viable long-term. Long -term. So we have, uh, we've started working with um, a British company for, for typesetting uh, or no, sorry, for, uh, creating a, it's sort of a, a whole solution. We send in Word files and they create PDFs. They send them back. We have a, a proof run and we send them again. They create a new PDF, which is uh, the, um, what we call it. Yeah, the final 
final proof and then we send it back and they create uh, XMLs from that. And um, it's highly recommended, it's strongly recommended because uh, uh, your di our digital presence will be so much better if the, the articles are um, machine readable. But then uh, it's it's highly recommended uh, worldwide uh, now in in publishing for for various reasons, um, and and um, but what about the economics? Um, I mean, it takes some um, not just an effort, but also if you send them outside, uh, there is some economics to it. So, so just briefly, um, what is uh, what is the financial situation? Um, does Publicera offer you funds to do the XML, or do you have to solve that uh, yourself? Let's start with uh, perhaps uh, Alison from Swedish uh, Archaeology. Current Swedish Archaeology has funding from the Swedish Research Council, uh, who have a funding program for humanities and social science journals. So that's where we have our funding from, uh, and that enables us to pay for things like language editing, and layout, uh, and also for the XML. Publicera itself doesn't provide us with it. I mean, there's no, they, they provide us with a platform, but there's no money. Uh, but that is covered by our current funding. The funding is, the funding cycles are three years, uh, and we are now in the first year of this funding cycle, so we can lose our funding in the future. Um, and it's always unstable, but we do have it at the moment. Um, how about the uh, economics from your point of view, Jenny? You represent the Culturella Perspective. Uh, do you get some uh, extra funds in order to solve the XML or do you, yeah, where do you get the money for that for? From. We are on a very low budget. We don't have the external funding from the Research Council hoping to apply for it or we will apply for it in the future. But at the moment, actually, the ethnological departments around Sweden have helped out to sort of rescue the journal. And those funds actually last us longer now that we stopped printing. So even if it does cost a bit, it's much cheaper for us and it's sort of made the journal survive for another three years. So fingers crossed. Glad to hear that. And also interesting what you point out here that although it costs something, to have XML, it's actually cheaper than to do the printing and distribution uh, process. Um, is that similar to, to your experience, uh, Isaac? If, uh, I'm not sure yet. We, we haven't paid the, the bill yet for the for the conversion and and uh, so. On, but but uh, I've counted on it. I've I've made some estimates, and I think. I think it's going to be almost the same price actually that we paid for the the typesetting for the paper issue and uh, but then the distribution is of course cheaper but we don't have any subscribers anymore so um, yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens and and the Swedish research council has they they have been funding Tilskifelitatuvetskap but we did not get a grant get the grant, um, what do you call it in, in English, the, the publishing grant uh, uh, last year. So, uh, and they basically 
signal clearly that our digital presence has to be better in order to in order for us to get it and uh, so so it's going to be interesting i mean in in uh, in our next application there would be uh, probably almost the same posts for for costs in the budget but there won't be any revenue so i, I wonder how they planned on solving that i mean that's that's something that i hope they've taken into account when they start when they when they adapted this strategy to to push journals into uh, uh, full open access online publishing so but we'll we'll see i for now i've i've been working a lot with uh, with uh, applying for smaller grants from several different places so we have uh, this year and the next this is uh, covered but then we'll see i don't know uh how about um i mean for small languages like norwegian or swedish there aren't that many uh, potential subscribers to a paper journal um, uh, of course and and not even to a online journal it, it can be hard to get enough funds uh, that way so so open access is is of course a way to survive um, but I guess for an English language journal, I mean, archaeology worldwide is, is rather big. You, you could have gone for a more uh, commercial solution, couldn't you, uh, Sophie, to have one of the big traditional publishers? We could possibly have done that, but that we are a society. We belong to the Swedish Archaeological Society, and somehow that was never appealing to us. Um, Alison might have... A better explanation. I can't remember how we discussed it. We'd had some approaches from commercial journal publishers. And we did consider quite seriously whether we should shift to one of those, principally for the online platform. Uh, but our experiences talking to other journal editors of other um, archaeological journals many of them were very actually unhappy about the service that they'd been provided with. So we didn't see those as actually sort of golden solution. Um, and then when there was a non-profit and very stable solution offered, that was something that appealed to us much more directly. Um, especially because I think something that we were concerned about was stability and long-term storage. We do publish on paper, but nonetheless, knowing that the articles that are uploaded are actually, that some responsibility is taken for them being preserved, um, that was very important to us. And the commercial journal uh, publishers, actually a lot of the contracts, they will only commit to having the, the papers online for maybe five years, which isn't really very long. Yeah, interesting. Um, how about the uh, cultural perspective, Jenny? Yeah, no, I just wanted to add because I think um, now you're asking also about like that, you know, one, two of us are uh, mainly Swedish speaking uh, or Swedish language journals, and one is English language, is an English language journal. But I think also what this new a digital format allows for is to have because we work with I mean we're mainly Swedish Swedish language journal at the moment but we're also uh, permitting uh, articles in the other Scandinavian languages and English and we've seen some interest from our authors to write in English also those who could write in Swedish um, 
so I think it's also a way to sort of expand a little bit and reach out more out of you know the Nordic region and and Europe where ethnology is quite a big discipline comparably <laughs> so it also opens up these possibilities to reach out to new readerships and build bridges between uh, ethnologists in different European countries so I see a big potential there I don't want to give up the Swedish language articles but still to have that sort of variety and it will be interesting to see where it goes yeah variety of um, of uh readers but perhaps also a variety of authors that you could get uh, subscriptions i mean uh, submissions i mean from outside of sweden um, do you see that as a potential as well that the journal becomes more visible outside of the country through open access yeah definitely and that's my hope because i think specifically for ethnology it's um, a discipline which exists very much in like in europe uh, not least in central eastern europe it's been a big discipline and i see that the journal ideally i mean this is a sort of hope for the future but that it could potentially reach out and you know con become more of a platform for knowledge exchange and uh, between different european countries I guess comparative literature as well is international. I mean, uh, how about Tidskrift um, for Literaturvetenskap? It's it's perhaps too early to say if you get reactions from abroad because your your first online issue or fully open access online push, uh, issue is is still not out there. It it will be quite soon. But do you have some uh, thoughts about the future still? Yeah, we we think about this a lot actually, and we've. Uh, um... I think we're very, we allow uh, for, for um, English uh, articles as well. So, so we, we occasionally publish English articles in English and that's, uh, that's uh, fine. Um, uh, we're happy to, to do it, but I think the majority of Swedish literary scholars are um, naturally leaning I mean, naturally prefers Swedish because they, a lot of the focus is Swedish literature and it would be strange to write about it in English, I think. And, and I, I think also there's an ideological sort of position that I personally at least have that um, we need to preserve Swedish as a, a scientific language. Uh, and I know Storklodet has the same uh, view and there's even a new language law, Spork log, which says that um, scientific publishing in Swedish has should be uh, encouraged rather than uh, discouraged. Uh, but we have also uh, we've that's another part of the critique from uh, financiers is that uh, it's not international enough. Uh, so we have. Uh, our strategy, strategy, my, my strategy has been to uh, start up a, um, an international cooperation with Scandinavists, uh, because my, my basic argument is that Swedish literary studies are international in Swedish, <laughs> because Scandinavists abroad, they want to read in Swedish, they want to publish in Swedish, and uh, there are at least 230 uh, departments, uh, department, uh, departments or organizations within universities 
of Scandinavia of Scandinavists internationally. So there's a, there is a huge potential for international distribution and uh, international readership that we've just now started to really uh, look into. So so um, in the in the following in the coming um, uh, issues, we're going to have one uh, segment where uh, a professor from an international Scandinavist department will write, will write about their, uh, what they do there, their, what, what kind of research, what kind of teaching. And it, the basic idea was to just signal and, and demonstrate that Swedish, is, Swedish literary studies are international in Swedish. But then it, it turned out to be very, very, very interesting as well. The texts are, are coming in now and I'm reading them and it, it's very interesting. And, and I think for Swedish researchers, it will be um, a really, um, really great to, to get in touch with, with uh, what's happening abroad and also the other way around. We've established contacts, our call for papers will, will go out to these uh, um, departments and, and hopefully they will start publishing in Tiske for Literaturvetenskap too. And I think it's it's nice in a way to to just um, signal this that internationalization doesn't necessarily mean in every subject that you publish articles in English. So one peculiarity to those of you who listen to this program who are not from the humanities and social sciences have now been spelled out with this language diversity. You can be international although you don't use English all the time. But another peculiar thing perhaps to the humanities and social sciences that we often look back it's it's not that things are get outdated after uh, a year or even a decade so your journals have been there for at least uh, two or three decades how do you look backwards how do you how do you work on the retro digitization of uh, previous issues is that a priority for you or um, and and how do you go about um, Perhaps start with you, Jenny. Yeah, that's a very important question. And we haven't started yet, but we will make sure that all articles from the 90s when it started will be transformed to the platform and get uh, their individual DOIs. Uh, and that's really important to us to sort of preserve. It's like the, the memory of the discipline, which is really important to preserve. So that's something that we'll start working with next year. And also as part of that, I see one important aspect is also to make sure that the articles that have been written can be used, let's say in teaching, not just in research, of course, for people to find them, but also for, for teaching. Um, so we're hoping to, um, yeah, to work with that and sort of be able to highlight some important articles that you know can be used by teachers in ethnology over the country all over the country and yeah so we have plans for that not yet started but very important um, Sophie would you like to say something about current Swedish archaeology in that respect we have uploaded all our back issues it took a very, very, very long time to do in the spring, uh, far much longer than I thought when I started it, but we had everything digitalized. So we had PDFs of everything, uh, which had done about 10 years ago, which we had on the old side, but putting everything in and making sure everything was correct and giving everything DIY and so forth, it took a very long time, but 
all the back issues are there and they're all safely stored at the, the libraries. So, I mean, they're safely there for the future. So it's work once done, which took much, much, much more time than I thought it would do, but it's done. So we don't need to look back. We can just look forward right now. How about you, Isak? Are you that lucky that you can just look forward for still work to do on the back issues? <laughs> no, not really. But we've also we haven't started work, but I've applied for some uh, for grants to uh, to get it going. Especially, I mean, we have PDFs from the versions from '91 uh, till now. But we still, if we want to make those machine readable, create XMLs from those PDFs and uh, and um, uh, so forth. We we uh, they need to be uh, scanned and read by a, a computer program. But then you need to look at every single uh, file to see that that the computer program interpreted the the image correctly. So so it's a it's a lot of work, and uh, we don't really have the time for that. So um, we'll see what happens next year. But but we're going to start the process at least. Alison. We knew that our back issues are important to readers because from the old site, we had some basic download statistics. So we knew that a few of the really popular articles have been downloaded thousands and thousands of times, especially the ones that have got into the sort of standard teaching on undergraduate programs about key issues in archaeology. Uh, our statistics there are only quite basic, but we knew that they were important of all of the shift to the new platform that was the major work phase for us especially for Savi who actually did it um and uh but it'll be very good that those are now more readily available they're searchable and also we'll be able to see with much more finely grained data who's downloading them and when and how many and so on uh we also do in our kind of social media presence we do various retrospectives promoting some of the uh, important articles and connecting them to work that's going on now and so on. Um, a final question is about the legal issues then, because if you ask uh, an author today to submit an article, I guess it will be clear and obvious that this will be an open access uh, article, it, there will be creative commons license and all that. If you retrospectively digitize, in principle, I guess you need to, to ask permissions. Um, or do you have some sort of legal uh, clarification in Sweden that you don't have to ask for permissions? If um, Is there anyone who has been involved in such uh, considerations? Well, we were lucky enough to have, I mean, everything had been scanned and been on just a normal website. So um, previous editors had asked for permission. So everything was already given permission for. So everything was out there and people had already given permission. So for us, it wasn't a problem, which it could just push it all out. Um, we did choose only to use XML for last year's volume and for the future volumes because doing xml on all back issues would we, we just don't have the funds for it basically uh, well thank you very much indeed is there anything else you would like to add towards the end of this episode 
I mean, you can cut this out if you want, but one thing that I think has come across now and before in chats we've had uh, in similar settings uh, is how much work the transition period is for various reasons. And I think there is a real shame that there isn't any external funders that have taken that into consideration when they make this move and sort of push us in this direction, which I think is a good direction to go in many ways. Um, but there would have been nice to, to if they had taken that into account and uh, announced funding for transition processes as well. With this uh, take-home message from, uh, from editors in the humanities and social sciences in Sweden who have made the transition uh, onto a open access platform run by the National Library. Uh, we have now come to the end of the episode and um, Open Science Talk is produced by the University Library at uh, UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. Thanks for listening. Thank you.